Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Episode 3, Season 6 of... Turn on the Jets Digital presents draft season. I am your moderator, D.A. Osario, joined as always by the incomparable Joe Bellick and the immaculate James Koontz, who is not in Chicago this weekend, but he's actually back home, uh, you know, where it feels like Chicago. Uh, thank you guys so much for rocking with us again. A big thank you to all the listeners that have listened to, season, to episode one and two of season six. Um, you guys know our format before I throw it to my co-host. Uh, seven rounds of draft talk connected to the New York Jets. Not anything that is not even remotely related to the New York Jets. So, no, we will not be talking about, you know, Bills fans being put through tables. We will not be talking about, you know, Tom Brady being in shorts in Florida, although you may get a couple of jokes from us about that. Uh, we will not be talking about Drew Brees and his noodle arm. None of that. You will not get any of that from us. It is all Jets talk. All Jets draft talk all the time. Joe, James, how are you guys doing? Happy Sunday. And by the time everybody listens to this, the Jets should be, should be, 0-13 by the time everybody listens to this. How are you guys feeling today? Doing well, Dalvin. Yeah, lucky number 13, right? Um, I'm pumped for uh, episode three, man. Yeah, yeah. How about you, James? You, you excited to be 0-13? I know in your young age, this is not what you're used to from the Jets. <laughs> 100%, yeah. I'm very excited for... Uh, seeing them lose to the Seahawks. Yeah. And I, the one thing I will say, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm, pre, I'm saying this Sunday, the 13th at 1236, Makai Becton will pancake Jamal Adams and it will break Twitter. I guarantee <laughs> that, that happens today. And I'm very, very excited about that. And, and that is probably going to be the bright spot in what is probably going to be a blowout because they're playing a pissed off Seahawks team who lost to the New York giants last week. Um, so I think fully expect this to be a blow up, but let's jump right into this guys. Um, as I said, you guys know the format, seven rounds of jets draft talk and round one, we begin with grading the mock. And as you guys know, we usually take a mock that's been released by somebody, you know, more famous than we are. Uh, and we take, we take the mock and we look at it. So this mock was, uh, it was dropped on December 10th on the draft network by Trevor Sakima. And this was his three, this was his third, his Mock draft 3.2. So he's dropped three other versions of this mock draft. And actually, he dropped one more, one version of this mock before, before the Jets had secured, you know, had on a Hail Mary from Derek Carr to Henry Ruggs before they had secured the, what seems like they've secured the first pick. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the draft picks post Trevor Lawrence because Joe has said it, James has said it, Shane said it last week. 
I am now saying it. Every Jets fan has said it. Trevor Lawrence will be the pick at number one if the Jets are picking first. Uh, we should not sit here and waste any time on will he or won't he pull an Eli Manning. So what we've been looking at is picks outside of Trevor Lawrence. So as of right now, the New York Jets have Seattle's first round pick, which the more they keep losing, the higher that pick gets. They will pick at the top of round two. And there's a chance, although depending on who you ask, some people see, some people have said the Jets could get a first for Sam Darnold, a late first. I don't believe that. I think that they'll probably get what they, what the Cardinals got for Josh Rosen, two picks. Um, but as of right now, we're operating under the premise that the Jets have Seattle's pick and pick 33, the top, the top pick in round two. Um, and then obviously their, their third round pick. So in this mock draft, uh, and keep in mind, this is who are we, who are they putting around Trevor Lawrence? So we'll start with the Seattle Seahawks pick. The New York Jets selected in this mock draft with the Seattle Seahawks pick, uh, which is currently 25th in, in the draft. They selected cornerback Eric Stokes from Georgia. Now, if you heard us last week, you heard that we that that was the one position that we thought you could see Joe Douglas try and attack with the Seattle Seahawks pick. Let's Let's not, you know, make any qualms about it. The Jets cornerback room entering 2021 cannot just have Bryce Hall. That cannot be the only player that you have, right? Uh, Pierre Desir was a disaster. Rodney Poole was set to be a free agent. The Jets are going to need reinforcements. And there's not a lot in free agency. I mean, Jimmy Smith is set to be a free agent, and he has the Joe Douglas connection. Patrick Peterson is set to be a free agent, but I can never see him leaving Arizona. Um, and also, I don't know if you really want to pay big money to Patrick Peterson at this, at this time in his career. So let's start with that pick first, guys. Joe, I'll go to you first, and then I'll go to James. Joe, what did you think of first the positional value taking a cornerback here at 25, and what do you think about Eric Stokes, the prospect? Well, you know, um, again, you know, I'd love to go – offense on pretty much every pick, but I like Trevor's approach here for the Jets. Corner is a huge need and a very realistic option at the end of the first. You know, most teams in the league run predominantly zone coverage. And one of the main reasons for that as well, it's just hard to find solid man-to-man -man cover corners. And when a guy demonstrates those skills, you have to give him a hard look. And Stokes is exactly that guy. He's a sticky cornerback who excels in press coverage. He mirrors wide receivers very well and can pretty much turn and run with anybody down the sideline and is extremely physical at the catch point, which I thought was nice to see. I think my favorite thing about him besides his man coverage is his processing though. He's very well aware of how a play or a route is going to develop and he could break on a ball in the flash. I mean, the film was nice. I think people should give him a closer look. Now he can work on his tackling and at times he didn't turn around for the ball the way I'd expect him to, but even in those situations, he did a good job of playing the wide receiver's hands and handled the situation pretty well. So in the end, there's a, there's a lot to like about this pick. I, I gave it a solid B. I wanted to actually give it a solid uh, a B plus because I really like Trevor's stuff and he's one of my favorite followers on Twitter. But I think B is a fair grade. And if for some reason this was JC Horn, say I'd probably give it an A. Horn went 14th though in this mock, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think as we get closer to the draft, Stokes will slowly become, uh, I believe, a, a household name. So nice two picks here, I think, by Trevor. Yeah. And, and I will say before I pass it to James, you mentioning J.C. Horn, I think it's the realization of how old I'm getting that Joe Horn's son is in this draft. Patrick Sertain's son is in this draft. Asante Samuel's son is in this draft. And this is a year after Michael Pittman's son is in the draft. And Antoine Winfield is in the draft. And these are names that, I, you know, again, I'm 35. These are names that I saw come their fathers play. So to see all these to see all these uh, next generation of uh, of football players enter the, enter the NFL is pretty, it's pretty interesting. James, Eric Stokes, what did you give it? And do you like 
do you like them taking a cornerback as opposed to maybe taking a wide receiver, maybe another offensive lineman? Uh, Creed Humphrey was still on the board in this mock. Uh, they had Alex Leatherwood was still on the on the uh, uh, on the board in this mock. Do what do you think about taking Eric Stokes at twenty five? Well, Joe did a good job talking about Stokes, the prospect. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about the draft strategy in general with the Seattle pick. I think that the Seattle pick will most likely be used for the best player available at the wide variety of positions of need for the Jets. So to the extent that a player at wide receiver, corner, edge, or offensive line falls past where the Jets have evaluated that player, I think they will take the best player on their board as opposed to focusing on a specific position. Um, and so in that regard, I haven't dug in too deeply to Stokes. Um, I think that if somebody like Rashad Bateman or one of the other receivers or an interior offensive lineman were to fall, they would prioritize those positions over Stokes because they would rationalize it as helping their young quarterback. Um, but I think, you know, given the fact that in this mock draft, all of those players have been taken, I think Stokes is a very logical pick. So I would give it a B plus. Yeah. And I, and I like that you mentioned just the, the reality of us not knowing how the board is going to break. So uh, one word answer before we get to, before we get to the second round pick, uh, would you consider how, how likely is it that the Jets even make this pick or is this the, is this the spot where you see them trade back? How do you, uh, I think, I, I think the Jets could definitely trade back. We've seen Joe Douglas yeah. do it before. So yeah. I think uh, there's, there's a lot of things in play here with Joe. Um, yeah. But could he go corner here? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. when was the last time the Jets even drafted a corner in the first round? Was that like 2013 D Milliner? Like yeah. almost eight years ago? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> and you believe it was that long? Yeah. And I, that's, I, also I, a really, that's a really good point, Joe. And I, and yeah. I think honestly, when you think about it, there's a pedigree that comes with being a first round cornerback, right? Like, and you mentioned Milner before that it was Kyle Wilson before that it was Darrell Revis. Right. So like, again, this is, this has been a long time since the Jets have invested premium resources into cornerback, right? It's, it's, it's been, you know, just kind of a wing and a prayer, a free agent signing that isn't really that good and a, and a late draft pick. And that's what they've been doing the last couple of years. Um, so I agree. I think it would be definitely very interesting. Let's jump right into pick 33 for you guys. So the Jets went edge in this draft in this, in this mock draft. Um, and we've talked about edge potentially at 25, right? But at 33, they take Jason Owe, the edge from Penn State. Now, we've talked about edge potentially at 25, right? But here it is after taking corner, after taking a corner at 25 in this mock draft, they go edge at 33. James, I'll go right to you because you mentioned the positional value and the, the strategy of taking a cornerback at 25. What's your thoughts on taking an edge rusher at the top of round? Two, as opposed to taking a receiver for your for your rookie corner for your rookie quarterback. Yeah, so I'll briefly comment on Joe's point about possibly trading back. I think one of the effects of COVID is that there will be less groupthink in the draft, and I think one of the corollaries of that is that teams will be less aware of how other teams grade prospects and will thus be less likely to trade back and jeopardize not getting prospects that they covet. So from that perspective, I could see the Jets not trading back. But with respect to your question about Jason Noah, um, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. He's incredibly athletic. He was on Bruce Feldman's freaks list, which for those who don't know, you can just Google it um, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, that said, I've watched him a little bit um, against Indiana specifically, and 
I think that the scheme prohibits or inhibits him a little bit, but um, he's very much a developmental prospect. I don't think he's going to have an impact first year. And I think you need a developmental plan for him in order to reach his potential. Um, But I think a lot of ways it would fit into this front office's MO of drafting players who are incredibly athletic um, and can fall back on that athleticism. So uh, I I would understand that pick and I think I could get behind it. Yeah. And I like what you mentioned about it being a developmental pick. I think that this is where the coaching staff comes in. Right. And we saw before we came on to record, there was a quote uh, that Rich Simony cited from, from Bill Cower, who Bill Cower said, you know, I have too much respect for the coaching profession to speak about a job that's not open. Right. Um, which again, translates to fire Adam Gase. And then I'll talk to you all about it. Right. But one thing that Cower and the Steelers have done, and it's continued even under Mike Tomlin is they've been able to develop pass rushers from the outside linebacker position and from the edge position. And so I, it's why, it's so crucial that the Jets nail this this hire, right? Not saying that it has to be Bill Cowher, but why it's so important that and James, you had a really good uh, tweet thread about this a couple of days after you know the, the the Hail Mary from Carr where it's where you talked about how it's not you can't focus so much on we need an offensive side, an offensive minded head coach or a defensive minded head coach. We need somebody that can look at these and look at, at, at how to build out this team, right? Like almost like the CEO mindset, right? I'm bringing in guys that I trust that can do this job well and when you're talking about taking developmental prospects, that's huge, right? Because one of the things that the Steelers also have done really well over the last 10-15 years is develop wide receivers and that's not a testament to Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin is not out there, you know, teaching Juju Smith-Schuster how to run routes or whatever, but Mike Tomlin has been able to identify guys that can grow with his system and continue to develop all these receivers. We're talking about Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool. Even if we go back to 2009, you had, they had Heinz Ward, Plaxico Burris, Antoine Randall. Plaxico leaves to the Giants. They're able to replace him with Antonio Brown, right? It's Antonio Holmes. Like, it's just the laundry list extends. And that's why it's so important that the Jets nail this head coach hire. Joe, edge at 33. Are you in love with it? Do you... Do you wish they would have gone differently? Because also looking at the board, again, still some solid offensive linemen there, but also Chris Olave was there. He went nine picks later to Washington. There was there. You could have added a potential game-changing wide receiver. Uh, This mock draft doesn't do that. Instead, they go edge. What are your thoughts? Well, we know that Joe Douglas values premium positions. Um, I just feel that in this particular draft, with everything that's even happened to Sam Darnold, I really doubt that they'll probably go cornerback edge back to back like that. I think that this is going to be a a draft where they do pay attention to protecting their number one asset, which is their quarterback. So I think if they do go cornerback with that first pick at the end of the first tough, I, I just don't see them grabbing edge here. Although it makes sense, obviously, you know, but so from that regard, I, I didn't really like the pick. Um, but like I said, obviously huge need. I mean, edge is, you know, one of the positions that we've been struggling with for close to two decades. <laughs> so understandable that uh, Trevor put him here, but not the direction that I hope the Jets go in and not the, the pick that I would make. Yeah. And I like your point about uh, back-to-back defensive picks, right? So here it is, Trevor Lawrence, best quarterback prospect in a decade. And then you decide to draft a cornerback and an edge. That's very interesting. Um, Let's go right into round two, because I think this ties into the point about Trevor Lawrence and the help that we can give him Uh, in this mock draft. They didn't, they didn't get uh, Trevor didn't give the jets a wide receiver until it's the top of round three. And I'll be honest, as a receiver that I I'm less high on than I think he is, but I wanted to get your guys's take on this. With Denzel Mims in the fold and currently Jamison Crowder, we don't know whether he's going to be on the roster or not, but Joe, you touched on this last during last week's episode, Mims's ability to really play all to really play all over the offense, right? 
who do you think, and I'll start with you and then I'll go to James, who do you think is the best compliment at wide in this class as a wide receiver to Denzel Mims, given that Trevor Lawrence will most likely be the Jets quarterback next year? Well, I think Devontae Smith and Rashard Bateman are two guys that would compliment Mims really well, but I don't think we have a shot at either of them. So I ended up choosing a player who I believe will be available into the second round potentially, but isn't necessarily a compliment in the traditional sense, you know, not the prototypical Z to Mims's X or vice versa, just Mm -hmm. a compliment in the sense that he's a guy who can beat you in different ways. Some people will pigeonhole him as a slot receiver, but I think he's more of a weapon with the potential to be a complete receiver. Rondell Moore, wide receiver from Purdue. Mm -hmm. They should start selling tickets to the NFL combine because Moore is going to put on a show. I mean, electric, dynamic, and ridiculous are just some good words you could use to describe him. This guy's got the hands of a wide receiver and the footwork of a running back. Somebody described him as the rat king, and I think that's fitting because this guy will literally dance you out of your shoes. He's probably the most exciting player in the draft from an entertainment standpoint. Um, but he's not the guy you draft unless you have a sound plan for him. I'd love to see him paired with Eric Bieniemy or a Tony Elliott because he'd be an asset to a creative coaching staff that used him correctly and an athlete you'd have to account for whenever he's on the field. He does have some durability concerns, um, but I think he's a, a player Jets fans would end up loving. I mean, this kid, this kid squatted 530 pounds while himself weighing 170 in high school, all right? He ran a 4.33 40-yard dash. He uh, posted a 4.01 short shuttle, which is like the kind of burst that would power a spaceship. You know, while other players are getting COVID tests next year, guys like Rondell Moore, Quiddy Pay, and Najee Harris are going to be getting DNA tests just to make sure they're human because these guys are ridiculous. And I will say that he weigh, he squatted 530 pounds at 100, as he himself weighed 170. Yeah. I weigh 205 and all I can squat is an empanada. Like that is all you're going <laughs> to get from delicious. me. I'm not no. squatting 530 pounds, man. It's not happening. And you know, and as you're describing him, I'm thinking, I'm like, when's the last time the Jets had a guy that you could just literally throw the ball to and he's going to shake you out of your shoes. It has not been a thing, right? I mean, Santana Moss is probably as far back as I can go as a guy that could do that. But again, like they don't, Putting him with a putting him with a coaching staff that is fun and is going to be able to use him right in, in very different ways. I think that that I think when you have a big body target like Mims on the outside, being able to move more around and more being the, and also but you Joe and you mentioned this, this is a really good point the interchangeability of both of them right. So again, you you folks may think we have to find a prototypical like you mentioned a prototypical X to Mims is Z or vice versa, but with more you're getting a dynamic playmaker that can open things up for Mims because. If you now can't double up Denzel Mims on the outside because you're afraid that Rondell Moore is going to just shake you out of your shoes, that's one-on-one matchups for Denzel Mims that he will win repeatedly. And that's a scary, scary proposition. James, to you, who is your who do you think is the perfect complement to, to Denzel Mims? Um, and you know, and I'll tie this into Joe's point because he said he mentioned Bateman, who who our own Connor Rogers is compared to Keenan Allen. But again, there's a good chance he's not available at, at, at you know when we pick again after Trevor, who's somebody that you think maybe not, maybe not even at the Seattle pick, maybe at the top of round two, maybe even later, just somebody that jet fans should get uh, familiar with as we barrel through the draft process. So when I was thinking about the perfect compliment, um, well, I looked up what compliment meant just to get a dictionary definition, even though I I vaguely uh, understood. (laughs) Um, And basically compliment is when something enhances the qualities of something else. And the player I chose is Tylen Wallace, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State, because I think that there's a lot of synergy 
with Denzel Mims's physical playing style. Um, and so I'll just read kind of the two or three sentences that I wrote about Wallace. An ultra-physical receiver, Wallace has significant starting experience at X, but would be best served by a transition to Z. Wallace does a good job of generating separation against off coverage by working into blind spots and has solid instincts and brutal physicality after the catch. Merits late first, early second round pick. So you may be thinking, well, on the very first episode of draft season, didn't James talk about Tylen Wallace at pick 33 being a bad pick? And yes, I did. Um, going back, my critique was that both from an absolute and relative perspective, it would be a bad pick. Um, now, having watched him in more detail, I, I will retract the part about it being a bad pick from an absolute perspective. I stand by the fact that players like Kyle Pitts and Wyatt Davis um, are better picks than him because they were available in that specific mock draft. But from an absolute perspective, I think he would be a great pick at the top of the second round. I think you would really um, have a receiving core that would really beat opposing DBs into submission. They would be tired. They would be uh, annoyed. They would be fed up with trying to tackle these players, trying to shed blocks from our receivers. Um, and I think it would really set the tone for the type of Jets, uh, for the type of Jets team that Joe Douglas is trying to build. So that's why uh, – I think the best compliment to Denzel Mims is Tylen Wallace. And here's what and here's what I like. And here's what you get from us that you don't get from other podcasts. We will admit when we've changed our minds. <laughs> so you don't have to play this guessing game. But honestly, I think it's interesting because I I thought the same. Like as you said his name, I was like, I remember just two weeks ago when we were talking. But I do think that there is something to be said, right? And the Arizona Cardinals did a really good job of this when they had Anquan Bolden and they drafted Larry Fitzgerald. It was physical receivers that were putting hands on you, right? And Anquan Bolden, again, Anquan Bolden likes to fight. Like, that, that, that's that's his that's his game, right? And Larry Fitzgerald is no, he's not afraid of contact. He wasn't early on in his career. Even still, even last year, you saw he was still willing to initiate contact. And it was receivers who were willing to put hands on cornerbacks. And that's different, right? Because for so long, we saw, yeah, for so long, we saw, uh, cornerbacks were the physical ones. Darrell Dar Rivas changed the game in terms of cornerbacks because of just how much he was beating these receivers into submission, following them across the line of scrimmage, not even being in the huddle, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. Um, and James, I want to pass it to you one more time just for something about Wallace before we can get into, into the next round. Yeah, so the player who he reminded me of was Chris Olave because I think in a lot of ways when Tylen gets off coverage – you see a lot of similarities, but I think the fundamental difference and why I have Wallace ranked higher than Olave is that um, he's a similarly good route runner who's more physical and who offers a lot more after the catch and at the catch point. And I think that's why I, uh, that's why I justify that late first, early second value. Wow. You actually now have Wallace over Olave. Wow. I can't, I can't believe it. I'm not, I'm not there yet with Wallace. I do really like him. I still kind of question his releases from the line. He seems to just do, mostly a speed release. So I do question how he's going to stack, you know, NFL cornerbacks, but I like the boldness there, James, I got to admit, but Olave yeah, over Wallace and, right now, mm, it's going to take me a little while. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. 
And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm going to move round three to round four. So round three, who is wide receiver one in this draft? Now, I've talked about this a lot over the last few, uh, over the last few, uh, I think, months on Twitter. There has been a course correction in the NFL over the last. So we had the historic Odell Beckham, Mike Evans, Sammy Watkins draft, right? So we had that historic draft. And then what you saw is that then more corners, right? So now teams were investing in corners to try to kind of counter some of this, right? But now here it is. We are now seeing last year we had a really good uh, wide receiver class, right? This year seems like we're about to have another really good wide receiver class. And so I wanted to get your take, guys. Who is wide receiver number one? I will say who is mine, (laughs) okay? So my wide receiver number one is Jalen Waddle. Now understand. Now. I had Jamar Chase as the number one wide receiver entering this season, but I thought, but I definitely felt that the gap between one and five, right. And, and, you know, in January we'll release our big boards and our, and our top fives. I had the, the gap between one and five. Wasn't that big for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Waddle, I think Jalen Waddle, when I, when I settle and, and I'm not going to change my mind in like a month, right. When we really or in two weeks when we release our boards, but Jalen Waddle is number one on my board as wide receiver one. Uh, the gap between him and chase is not that big. I think that ultimately you take any of these guys, Waddle, chase Smith Bateman, right. I, I think that you're going to get prototypical number one receiver production, but Jalen Waddle is my number one receiver. Joe, I pass it to you. Who is wide receiver? Number one in this class. Uh, talk about bold there. I think you know, full <laughs> throttle Waddle. All right. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you might have to talk a little bit more about that, but yep. Jamar chase is my clear number one receiver in this draft. James actually compared his releases to Michael Jackson in this uh, ID video chase posted. Well, chase is definitely a smooth criminal and the grim reaper of this wide receiver draft class. This guy will snatch your soul on the way to the end zone. And he pretty much checks all the boxers for me. But what's most impressive from my standpoint is his technical ability. I think this guy is a master technician. He displays a plethora of moves to create separation, whether it's a great hand-foot combination releasing off the line when pressed or working a double move off of speed release to get open, open. This guy is just a joy to watch. And his ability to manipulate defenders is elite next level stuff. Everything this guy does is deliberate. He is so deceptive. If you get a hand on him, it's only because he wants you to. When a corner thinks he's in control, guess what? He's wrong. It's just part of his plan. Similar to like uh, an offensive lineman who uses a flash technique to bait a defender to shoot their hands, Chase does the same thing with his feet or even deliberately exposing his chest just to get the cornerback to shoot so he can counter. Um, This guy is just very good at his craft. Clearly number one to me, pro ready in every way. Yeah. And James, and so you guys know, we have a, a draft season group chat where we talk, you know, in preparation for these episodes. And James had asked me actually, what, you know, who do you compare him to? And I actually, I, he reminded me a lot of Anquan Bolden. And, and again, I love Anquan Bolden. Anquan Bolden is one of my favorite receivers of all time. But the reason, the reason uh, he reminded me very much of him is because again, and Joe, to your point, there is not, I don't think that there is a cornerback in the country that, can physically impose their will on Jamar Chase. I don't think that there's a cornerback in the country. And it's a scary proposition when, to James's point, when you can move that way. 
because people that strong should not move that way. And Anquan Bolden, when he got to when he got to, to to Arizona, and even like towards the end of his career in Baltimore, he was still able to move DBs. He was still able to use his hands to break press, and he was able to find that sweet spot in the soft zone. And I and, and I always used to think I was like, you're almost forty. You should not be able to move like that. But Anquan Bolden did that, and Jamar Chase is like Anquan Bolden on steroids. Like <laughs> it is, it is absolutely just fun. It is fundamentally difficult for a cornerback to cover him. Number one, James. Who do you have, wide receiver one, heading into Christmas? Well, Joe alluded to me having a potentially controversial wide receiver one. Um, I was leaning towards Rashad Bateman, but um, the more I thought about Jamar Chase, it was difficult for me not to give him a very high grade. Um, And I'll perhaps highlight some different traits that Joe didn't, and then I'll comment on a little bit about what Joe said. Um, I think for me, there's some – underrated athleticism to chase that I think won't show up in any of the combine um, testing. I think he has incredible balance, you know, the way some corners tackle high on him and it kind of like pulls his head backwards, but he's able to duck under it because he has that much sort of upper body flexibility. Um, I think the way he's able to break some tackles um, and kind of like push through DBs who are wrapping up high, I think speaks his lower body strength, uh, which I think is quite impressive. Um, so I think those are some really underrated aspects about Chase's game. I think with respect to what Joe said, um, when I was watching him, I didn't interpret his releases as being as deliberate as Joe did. Um, and I think that was part of my like trepidation initially in ranking him as the wide receiver one, because I thought, um, him resorting to physicality at the line was not deliberate. I thought that was just kind of like the only way he knows how to fight. Um, But that said, I think with Chase, there's a lot of potential. Um, There's a lot of variance. I think at at the minimum, he can be a very good deep threat. But if he develops his game even more, I think he can be one of the best receivers in the NFL just because of his athleticism. Um, And it took a little bit for me to come around on it on him, but um, you know, I'm there. Uh, I have him graded right now as a top six pick. So, uh, you know, I did come around. See, and you got to think about this. So we've, we've now gone through four rounds and here are the receivers that you've heard mentioned, Tylen Wallace, Rashad Bateman, uh, Jalen Waddle, Jamar Chase, Joe, you mentioned Devonte Smith, those are, and, and, and Rondell Moore. So we've mentioned six receivers, right? And that's, we haven't even gotten to, what you would call the next level of receivers, right? Like the Chris Olaves, right? Uh, And just guys that, again, this is how deep this wide receiver class is. So when you hear folks say that the Jets should be content to go into the season with $11 million slot extraordinaire, Jamison Crowder and Denzel Mims, I tell you that that's foolish. Like this is the draft for the Jets to really course correct, right? Because for example, the Atlanta Falcons, they had Julio Jones. I didn't stop them from taking Calvin Ridley, right? The Seattle Seahawks had Tyler Lockett. That didn't stop them from taking DK Metcalf, right? If anything, part of the issue that the Baltimore Ravens are having right now is because the Baltimore Ravens said, oh, we don't need to add anything at wide receiver. It is all good, right? Not realizing that the way you help your young quarterback, right? Uh, the way you help your, your young quarterback is by giving him talent at the wide receiver position like the Buffalo Bills did adding Stephon Diggs, Right like the Green Bay Packers have refused to do for years for Aaron Rodgers. You have to add talent around your quarterback to give him a shot because there's no way that you can know what you really have 
if I don't give you all the tools at your at your disposal. Um, and actually, this ties in perfectly, right? This ties in perfectly to our, our next round, uh, which we moved around. Joe Douglas's draft philosophy. And, you know, we have a couple more rounds. We have about 10 minutes left. We want to get into this briefly. Joe Douglas's draft philosophy. And, Joe, this ties into a point that you made earlier that we talked about the ability to trade back from 25 or even 33, right? So first, let's talk about Joe Douglas's draft philosophy. His time in Baltimore, his time in Philly, I think you made a really good point about he is not averse to moving around the draft board, right? He did it last year. He moved around, was still able to get Denzel Mims. Joe, I will start with you here. What, if you could classify Joe Douglas's draft philosophy in, um, in 30 seconds or less, how, what would you break it down to for the draft season listener? Well, I think he always takes his coach's systems into account. And I think he believes in collaboration and he values premium positions. But I think for this particular draft, I think we could really be potentially making offensive priority over anything. And there's two reasons really for this. One, there's an actual present for Douglas doing this in 2019. The Eagles selected three offensive players, offensive tackle Andre Diller in the first, and running back Miles Sanders and wide receiver J.J. Arcega-Whiteside both in the second round. So Jets fans who want offense with these picks should be optimistic. Plus, I think Daniel Jeremiah has an inside track on things Jets-related. And him mentioning that they should go offensive line and wide receiver with the picks following the Lawrence should be music to Jets fans' ears. Secondly, I'm sure some people will say that this doesn't matter, but I feel differently. I believe Joe Douglas is a good person. He promised Sam Donald's parents he would take care of their son. And although it's not his fault, Sam's career has played out as it has. I think Douglas feels somewhat responsible. And I don't believe he's going to let that happen to Trevor. So I'm smelling a draft that, based on some precedent and recent information, could be chock full of offense at the top. And I, I'm not going to rule that out, even though we know how he values premium positions. But this is... I think a time for perhaps a change in philosophy where he sees this team and he knows that he has this quarterback and he knows how the other one was built around and he's not going to make that happen for this guy. And he's going to go, and he's going to go potentially in a different direction than people think. Joe, Jay, and Joe, I think that's a really good point. And it's something that I, I, the, the point about him being a good person, right? Like things did not come to a head until it felt like Jamal Adams started insulting that part of Joe Douglas. Now we know that these trades don't happen overnight or anything like that, but I think the minute Jamal Adams started to question Joe Douglas's character, right? Started calling him a snake, started calling him all these things. I think that's kind of where you saw the relationship really start to fray. Um, and that's something that I agree with you. I think we should start, we should pay attention to James. I'm going to go to you for round six. Uh, I'm going to go to you for round six, given what Joe just said about Joe Douglas's uh, about Joe Douglas's philosophy. If the Jets happen to win one game, right? And they land at two. Given what Joe just said about his philosophy, are the odds more likely that he brings it back with Sam Darnold for one more year and trades back? Or do you think no questions asked Sam Darnold's time here is done? No, I think no questions asked it's done. I mean, I think not, okay. At, at the risk of being overly blunt, <laughs> Sam Darnold's not good at football. We need to lock into a 50 year option for $25 million. Joe Douglas is good at valuing football players. You don't need to be good at, football, at evaluating football players to know that Sam sucks and that he shouldn't be a quarterback for this team, especially when we have a high draft pick and can draft a player like Justin Fields, who is way more talented, who will be on a cheaper contract than Sam. So I think there's absolutely no way we keep Sam. He's as good as gone. I think even if the, even if we could only get a seventh round pick for him, we would ship him off, say sayonara to the contract. Oh this is this is this is an episode of bold takes for sure. <laughs> Sam, Sam Darnold just sucks. I will say this about Sam Darnold because I don't believe he sucks, but I do think that some fans, and, and I've been guilty of this myself, 
need to separate how much they like a player on a personal level from how good they actually are at football. Right. Because yes, Sam is not actually that good at football right now, but is he, um, would I trade him for a seven round draft pick, James? Oh man, come on, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think I will say, I think that it's more likely if that were to happen that they just don't pick up the fifth year option. I think it's just that. Uh, I, I would be blown away if they traded him to like, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for for, for yeah. a, I do agree though. I do think that to both of your points, I do not think he's a good quarterback right now. He's he's not. Um, I think that where Jet fans, I think the two schools of thought where Jet fans kind of chafe against is one, how much of it is his fault. I think Sam does have some blame to to hold in that. And then the other part is that I think a lot of Jet fans believe that the minute he leaves here, magically he's going to suddenly all the bad habits are going to go away. And I'll tell you this, if Sam Darnold gets traded to a team like, if he gets traded to Chicago, right, let's say, right, he's traded to Chicago, I'm not convinced that he that he would be better than what he's been here because, one, I think the Bears are going to lose Allen Robinson. I think the Bears' offensive line isn't that great, right? Um, like, I certainly would much rather have Makai Becton than anybody on the on the Bears' offensive line. And I like James Daniels as, as a guard, as a guard, but I, I like Makai Becton more. If you trade him to a team like, uh, Jacksonville, like you have to worry about what that what that's gonna that's gonna be for him. So I think Jet fans, you're right, Joe. Uh, Joe, I think you nailed it. I think Jet fans have to start separating. Like I like Sam as a person. I've met Sam. Sam's a really nice guy. Yeah. There's a difference between me liking Sam as a person and me liking. We, Sam. We do have to acknowledge though that you know once this Sam gets removed from the grips of this forward thinking <laughs> head coach, I mean he's a prime candidate to be at the top of. The future face watch. If all these other guys are finding success outside of Gase, well, and because he's more, he's also and he's also more talented than Ryan Tannehill. That's the reality. And Ryan Tannehill is my boss. I agree, Adam Gase. Right, Um, but I think I think Jet fans. I think there's a lot of Jet fans that will tell you it's a foregone conclusion. And I think that there it is possible that Adam Gase has done so much damage to Sam's psyche and his mechanics that it just doesn't happen anywhere else. And I think uh, some Jet fans should be open to that. Um, let me go straight to round six before we wrap guys round six. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give, I'm going to name a prospect. I want you to give me one. I want you to give me one sentence that describes him. I'm just going to name a prospect and you tell me one word that describes him. And I'm going to do it with running backs. Okay. Uh, because again, Joe, you touched on this last week, James, you agreed with him. Very few things are talked about enough than the fact that Sam Darnold did not have a competent running game to help him, right? And we see, like, Dak Prescott had Zeke Elliott. That made his job substantially easier, right? Pat Mahomes is an all-generational quarterback, but he also has a running back that can get two yards if they need it, right? I don't think you ever have to do that when you can shoot. Well, you can throw the ball like Steph Curry shoots threes, but that's kind of where we are. Uh, So I'm going to name one prospect for you, Joe. Give me one sentence about what you think of him. And James, I'm going to give you one running back also, uh, because these are the, these are the guys that are in the running for running back one in this draft, I think. So Joe, Travis Etienne, one sentence, go. Dual threat, dynamic running back, who is most definitely a three down player and potential pro bowl, all-star caliber talent for sure. Love him. This guy at his size can pretty much run you over and it's unexpected he's a, a really talented guy dual threat three down guy can't go wrong yeah james i'm going to i'm i gave i gave joe a running back i'm going to give you a tight end kyle pitts mismatch nightmare would be overdrafted in the top 15 
I like I like the second part of that. I like the second. <laughs> I like because I because I've seen a few mock drafts that have him as high as nine. I like I like I like that, but I think Kyle Pitts is a he's a mismatch nightmare for sure. All right, guys, let's go right into round seven. Uh, our last minute and some change. Uh, I'm going to shorten this though because you know we're 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 closing in on the time, but I'm going to shorten this round seven. Okay, you're you are in Joe Douglas. You are with Joe Douglas. Pick thirty three. Okay, the top pick in round in round two. Do you trade it, or who do you take? Those are your two options, Joe. I will start with you. Do you trade the pick? Right? Is that the pick that you see him trade back? Or if you don't trade, who's the player? I didn't that- hear. I didn't hear the first part. To help oh, him. sorry, sorry. You're on the. Your Joe Douglas has entrusted you with pick thirty three, the top, yeah. the first pick in in the second round. Do, do you trade the pick? Is this where you honor his philosophy for building the team? Or do you take a player and who's the player that you that you take with no questions asked if he's on the board? Uh, it's tough to say. You know, uh, I could see him trading back if, you know, Chris Wyatt Davis is there. I'm taking the pick. Um, if Rashawn Slater somehow fell, I'm taking the Christian Darisol, somebody like that. I'm definitely taking the pick. Even Quiddy Pay, you know, he's not getting there. If he falls, you know, I might have to take that pick, even though I want to go all offense. I mean, he's a beast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, along those lines, but. I think I'm going to stay firm. I think there's going to be a really great player there available that yep. I'm going to want. So I yep. think that I'd probably end up sticking with that. Yeah. James, if Tra- Travis Etienne and Chris Olave on the board at 33, who are you taking? Oh, man. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, Etienne. <laughs> but reluctantly. You're running back. <laughs> Etienne. I love it. I love it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us.